We're resuming. It is uh, 4-28-2021, and we are resuming our Bible study. So we are talking about Revelation. And so do we have any other comments about uh, the 4 and 20 elders, 24 elders, (laughs) 4 and 20, or the... uh, the four living creatures that are found in Revelation chapter 4. Other comments, other thoughts about those? All right. So then. Basically, I, I, would, I, would, I would guess that there's really, in the scripture, in the word of God, nothing that clearly, de- that's definitive, that tells us exactly who they are. Now, there's like... I guess there's crumbs that we can point to and say that they're angels, for sure, but it doesn't come out and say exactly who they are. So It doesn't. It's just one of those things that we don't know. That's right, yeah. And that's how I would, right. I would say it I, as well. I was, I was guessing about the 12 tribes in the great tribulation and the 12 tribes prior to that. I was guessing that because there's nobody saying who they were. Right. Other thoughts out there? Well, I have a, I have some thoughts in Romans, but I'm going to wait patiently until we get to uh, election. <laughs> and it's talking about election. I'm going to patiently wait. So, so that's what I'm waiting for. So did you have a verse in particular in Romans? Well, I I want to I want to see the correlation between uh, Esau and Jacob and God's selection of of uh, of Jacob over Esau and the church and he knew us from eternity past. Right. Right. Uh, that's along the lines of my. That I'm gonna wait. It's just let's, it will be. It's not beneficial for us to get into it. Let's just patiently wait. Well, actually, we're going to get into it. So let's let's go to it. So it's um. So let, let's pick up our notes. And uh, they did. I think you have 21, but I updated my date to 28. So we have uh, nine Romans 9 7, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. So in your notes, as we can continue to look into the passages before us, our attention is again directed to the formation of Israel. The apostle has some points to make, so let us lean forward to see. Israel is a miraculous nation, and God demonstrated his power in freeing them from Egypt. God also demonstrated his sovereignty in unmistakable ways as he chose the nation. As this theme develops in the next verses, remember that God is always in control because it is the Father's plan. So looking at the context where we are, I think we we had a heavy dose of 
an introduction about Israel. There's there's the covenants, the promises, there's the patriarchs, the the law, and so forth. All of that we went through, so we had a good understanding of where Israel, uh, what Israel is about, and what we should say is the pride of Israel. And that's right. We, we should say that Israel is proud because, not because of who and what they are, but who and what God has made of them. God is the one who brought Israel into existence. Uh, it is his plan, his choices that brought about Israel. And I think as we are developing this, we're, we're trying to understand these verses uh, in the light of what God is saying here about the formation of the nation Israel. We say, why would he be doing that? question that should be asked is why. Why would he uh, go over this? I say, did, has God's word failed? We talked about last time, why would someone say God's word failed? Who would say God's word? failed. Now he brings this up again in Romans 11. I say then, did God cast away his people which he foreknew? So God, of course not, Paul says, but we must, we must answer that question. But our question on the table is why or who would say that there's a problem here? And it would be Israel. And we discussed that last time. I hope, hopefully you, you remember some of that and, and review. We could just kind of go over it again. But the thought is, no, nobody thinks Israel failed. Not the apostle, not the church, not the Gentiles. Israel does. But really, Israel doesn't think the word of God failed. Because they de- what they're doing is they're depending on, I'm, I'm l- looking at last week's notes, they're depending on the word of God for their calling. They recognize that God called them. And so really what they're saying is, they're trying to put God between a rock and a hard place. They're saying, well, if you want to continue to maintain that this church is called and chosen and foreknown, then you are going against your word. That's what they're saying. So they're trying to force this to say, wait a minute. You can't have it both ways, God. You can't call us and tell us that we're the called and then put us aside and now call the church. You can't do that. You can't call Gentiles and Jews in one body. You can't tell us that the Mosaic Law is not in force anymore. You can't tell us that the covenants, the promises, all that was given to Israel is now put aside. So we are answering the objection, right? It's an apology. When I say apology, and we're not saying we're sorry, we're given an explanation along with the Apostle Paul as to what Israel is thinking. Now, the question should be asked before we get into this. Does Israel have the right to ask this question? (laughs) You could ask, right? Now, we already talked about the mystery. We know about the mystery. We understand uh, it was hidden. God hid within himself. So, no, Israel didn't know anything about it. Evidence, there's more evidence here because Israel is rejecting it because they're saying, no, you can't do that, God. So, 
is we could ask two questions. One, is it a legitimate question that they ask? And then two, do they have the right to ask that question? One is a legitimate question, and do they have the right to ask that question? Anybody out there? I'd like to take a stab at it. I just think it's only the unbelievers Israel has the right to ask because under their tradition, they so stuck and stiff necked. They just looked at how what is what's the custom to them. So, so is is it a legitimate question? Yeah, I would say it's legitimate um, because even we have to learn and understand about it. So why wouldn't it be a legitimate question to them to seek information and understanding of it also? Ah, great, great answers. I, I think as well, I think the same thing. Not only did I, do we think it's a legitimate question to answer, guess who else does? God. Through the Apostle Paul, is answering this question. It's a big question. So the question is: Do they have the right, right, to ask this question of God? It, it, it's a bit arrogant, wouldn't you say? <laughs> it is it's very arrogant. Like I said, only the unbelieving Jews had the right. So you're saying that unbelieving Jews well, have the right through their arrogance to ask well, the question? Unbelieving Jews, that's why I have to say, if you're going by their just, their unconditional. I, I don't think that it would be surprising to God. I mean, he has, they have this much bolder, arrogant uh, acts in, in the past. Well, um, well, it is brash, but let's just say this. As you said, Bill, we have a right to understand it, and so does Israel. God has a plan, and he is, he is free to have a plan and to hide his plan uh, from anybody he chooses and then to reveal it to whom he chooses. It's God's right sovereign right to do so and the fact that he gives this explanation that he takes time through all these chapters in Romans to address the Jew to answer his concerns not only about righteousness about the law about walking in truth all the things that we've learned salvation by grace all that he's addressing primarily the Jew so yes, he has a right to, uh, well, the Jews have a right to, to know. And guess what? The word of God would not be complete were it not for this answer. Now, of course, God doesn't have to answer anybody anything, first of all. He doesn't. He doesn't owe anybody an answer. However, if he wants us to understand, <laughs> then Yes, he will have to tell us what what was he thinking? How does it work? Because otherwise we just wouldn't know. God, he could reserve the right to say, I'm not telling you. 
But you know what he does? He tells us. That says something about God. That he's disclosing the inner workings of his thinking. We're going to get to know how God thinks. And he doesn't withhold that from us. Now from Israel, he did. Israel didn't know what God was thinking. Now where we sit, we should be able to see the whole thing. We're, we sit like on a mountaintop. We can look from the, to the what's behind. We can look ahead. We can see the whole thing. And then, not only that, we can see how it fits together. They're not two independent thoughts. It's one plan. So when God created all things, which is the universe, including planet Earth, he had all of this in his mind, although he did not reveal all of it. He, he revealed it in progressive revelations. And uh, we might even call those dispensations. He hid a dispensation, and he did not tell anybody about it. So when we think about it, yeah, so I'm just trying to answer this quick question for ourselves, and we should think about it this way. Israel has a right to know. It has to be worked out. If God's going to be upfront, honest, revealing his heart, transparent for us, he would tell us this information. Because remember, what is the mystery? The revelation of God's heart. And if we got the revelation of God's heart, look how thorough it is that he even goes to these questions that the Jews had. I mean, you could look at chapter 9. We saw all kinds of problems with Israel. Uh, well, not just chapter 9, but we're, we're talking, look at 10. God he, he, he wishes they were saved. They pursue righteousness. Even at the end of 9, he says, uh, uh, the people of, verse 31, but the people of Israel who pursued the law as the way of righteousness. There it is right there. They pursued the law as the way of righteousness. Remember what Paul wrote in Romans three nineteen and 20. Therefore, by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. No one. But that's what Israel did. They pursued God. They pursued righteousness. But they have not attained their goal. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, as it were, as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. That's Christ. Christ is our righteousness, not the law. Christ. And he's the one who imputes it. You can try to obey the law all you want. The law will never impute righteousness to you. It will only condemn you. So the whole thing is about Jews. The whole thing is about how Jews, the thinking of Jews, needs an explanation in the word of God. And, and it, we have it thoroughly. We got Galatians as another book another testimony about what God said regarding Jews. It's huge. So for a dispensational change from the law to the church, right, from Israel to the church, it's not without explanation. Now, well, we, we talk about the fact that there are signs, wonders, and miracles. These signs, wonders, and miracles demonstrate God's direction and tell us which way he's going, 
But what we should know is that we also have explanation that's valuable. And if we're going to reach the fullness in terms of our knowledge, the fullness and stature of Christ, that we might uh, be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, and we can't know this information, like what is God thinking? How does he see his plan? And how does it relate to what he has already revealed? We need a thorough understanding of it. Now, I will tell you as well that without a thorough understanding of it, and this is, even though God has given it, people have ignored it and said, oh, well, this is related to salvation or, you know, they've missed, missed the boat here. They've made a mess of things. They got God choosing people to be saved and some people he doesn't choose to be saved. So obviously they go to the lake of fire. God's okay with that. That's not what's here at all. Salvation is whosoever will. Let him come and take the water of life freely. Whoever believes in him will not perish and have eternal life. It's not based on whether or not God chose you to salvation. He goes after every person who's born in Adam. Every person who's lost. Christ died for all sins. And we could go through unlimited atonement and all the scriptures and the references. But here, we have something a little bit more different. Israel is saying, wait a minute, you can't choose the church. If you do, the word of God has failed. Can't This is echoing in the minds of Jews. They're the chosen people, not the church. So until we understand that thought, we're not ready to proceed in Romans chapter 9. We need to make sure we get why the apostle, and obviously God, who is guiding the hand of the apostle to write such things, is writing them. So we'll dig in. So we, we talked about Israel, the covenants, all that, the glory, they're proud, they have pride. And but how did that all of that happen for them? It was because of God's sovereignty. His sovereign choosing at every stage. <laughs> and we're gonna get into it is not just uh the children of uh Abraham that are his offspring and that's point one so let's talk about it and not all are children of Abraham not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring that's almost a contradictory passage I don't know I didn't put that in the notes but as I read it there it is not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring let's think about that for a minute Abraham had other children, right? But they're not his children. Offspring and children, it's the same thing. But not in the way the apostle is, is understanding this. Who's, when, when God promised Abraham that he would have children, and he told him to look up to the stars, and you see, if you, you can count in, you'll be able to count the number that are of your children, your offspring. So, this, this was the promise to Abraham. 
through you, all nations will be blessed. I'm going to make of you a great nation. But, and not all are children of Abraham because they are of his offspring. So now, that says, it, first of all, it's a contradiction of, of terms. So what does that mean? It means that there's a definition of, of what it means to be children of Abraham. What does God mean when he says that? So point A, we discuss what, ingredient, what ingredients make true Israel. I say review. We need review. Why? Because in the previous verse, we had a phrase that said, but it is not as though the word, this is verse 6, it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. Now get this. What do we mean, not all that are descended from Israel are Israel, belong to Israel? So he, he didn't start at Abraham. He started at Israel. And he's saying everybody who says they're Israel are not Israel. So that's important to note. So we said, well, what, what is Israel then? What does it mean? What does it take to be Israel? To belong to Israel. So back to our notes. Um, we discuss that. We review that. So when it comes to salvation, Jew and Gentile, it does not matter because we are dealing with God's righteous standards. So when it comes to salvation, I don't care what genes you have, whether you have the genes of Abraham, Isaac, or, and Jacob, or whether you have the genes of Gentile. And you could just fill in the blank. It does not matter. If I go to Romans 3, 9 through 12, which you know, should know very well. Which I know you do. So let's look at it. Because this really is Paul's point right here. So Romans 3, 9. What shall we conclude? Do we, do we and he's referring to his Jewish heritage when he says we, do we have any advantage? Not at all. Now, if you thought that the Jews have a particular advantage, if you ask, were the Jews a called, foreknown, uh, holy nation, all these things, if you ask those questions, that's one point. Because did they have the covenants? Did they have the law? What about the patriarchs? Yes, you could say, yes, Jews had all that. Absolutely. But do they have any advantage when it comes to this salvation? Nope. They were born the same as everybody else. So let's read it. Not at all, verse 9. <laughs> that would be the question. Because that's what the Jews thought that they had was an advantage. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. Now, it can't be more clear than that about what he's talking about here. I'd say there's no wiggle room here. He didn't say some are under the power of sin and some are not. All are under the power of sin. So when he, then he, he goes into the scripture. And these are quotes from the Old Testament, from Psalms. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have to together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. 
Think about that for, for all those Jews who think because they have the law, somehow they have an advantage before God. They can, they have some credit with God. And according to this, after he just talked about Jews and Gentiles, and there's no advantage whatsoever, he says there is no one righteous, not even one, no one who understands that there is no one who seeks God. This is the state for everybody. So you could have the genes of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but if you are an unbeliever, then you will not see life, and the wrath of God remains on you. Does not Your heritage, your Jewish heritage, will not save you. You are under the power of sin. So that's what the Jews needed to understand. That's why we have these verses. <laughs> They're so clear. And I, like I used to say, if, if these are written to the Jews and there's such detail, such detail here, that, wow, the Gentile understanding, even though we don't have the law, is so clear. We don't need the law, do we, for salvation. Anyway, so, okay, so this is the first point. All right, we're dealing with God's standards. God's, God's not going to relax his standards for the Jews because he called them. He's not. Point two, having the law does not gain Jewish advantage. This is Romans 3, 19, 19 through 20. We already saw it saw that right 19 we know that whatever the law says it says to those who are under the law who's under the law well the whole world but particularly jews every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to god therefore no one will be declared righteous in his sight by the works of the law rather through the law we become conscious of sin so if anything, being conscious of sin, the Jews would have a leg up because they got the solution for sin, which is through the animal sacrifice, right? the ceremonial law, which depicted uh, the God's way, which would mean a substitutionary sacrifice. Point three in our notes, receiving righteousness or justification is free to all who believe. That's Romans 3, 21 through 24, as we see. Apart from the law, righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. The righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. It has nothing to do with your Jewish heritage. Jews thought it did. They thought that their Jewish heritage <clears throat> gained them some credit with God. They got, got some points with God. And that wasn't the case. Point four. True Israel comes with believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, right? That's true Israel. How do we know this? Romans eleven twenty six. I'm going to skip over to Romans 11. Stand by. So Romans eleven twenty six and 27 says... Uh, well, 25, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Oh, they were. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles come in. He's talking about coming into the church. And in this way, all Israel will be saved, as it is written. A deliverer will, and these are scriptures from the Old Testament. 
A deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And, and so notice the godlessness away from Jacob. Jacob needed to be Israel. Remember, Jacob wrestled with God. And after he prevailed, then Jacob became Israel. And here, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. So that means they'll, they're going to be believing Israel, not unbelieving Israel. And this is my covenant with them, when, Jews, Israel, when I take away their sins. So even though the new covenant has already happened, it has not happened for the Jews yet. So this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. It has not happened for them. Even though God paid for their sins, but they are not reconciled to God. Here, they will be. As far as the gospel is concerned, in other words, that's, that was the, what's going to happen in the tribulation. But now, right, they are enemies for your sake. Why are they enemies? How can they be Israel and be enemies? How can they still have a, a future with God and be enemies? It's because, uh, I'll, let, I'll give the explanation he gives, but as far as election is concerned, they are loved on the account of, of the patriarchs. So what have we been talking about here in Romans 9? The patriarchs. So not all the children of Abraham are children because they are his offspring. Right, that's what we've been talking about. So we're going through this quick review. Right? Point number five in our notes. As far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies, which we just read. We don't have to read it again. Yeah. So, point C in our notes, the children of Abraham, those mentioned in the context, are who, who are the children of Abraham? If not all the children of Abraham, uh, because they are of offspring, but who are the children? Though through Isaac, your offspring will be called. Well, who else is mentioned, if we keep reading in the context, is Isaac and Jacob. There are the two. So, now we have Abraham Isaac and Jacob. Right? That's the thought. So Abraham, so point D in our notes, Abraham had only one child by Sarah. Just one. Um, so we, we could just think about this. Um, Genesis 11.30. Let's turn to some of these. I think they're important to read. Genesis 11, 30 says, now Sarah, here, here it is, Sarai was childless, Sarah, before she became Sarah, was childless because she was not able to conceive. I just figured I'd throw in this verse. I think everybody already knows that Abra, uh, uh, Sarah, Sarah was barren. She, she never, even when it was child, she was in childbearing age or years. She she could not conceive. She could not get pregnant, which was tough for people who really needed the line to carry on, and and she couldn't have a child. But remember, God says, Sarah, you're going to have a child. 
but she was childless. Even even before they left uh, Haran, uh, when they talk about who she was, Abraham's wife was Sarai, and name Nahor. He's telling Nahor is Abraham's brother. This is verse twenty nine. Uh, but notice what it says about Sarah. She was childless because she was not able to conceive. And then Hebrews eleven eleven. Let's look at that one. Let's go there. That one says, And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who made the promise. Uh, not initially. <laughs> not initially she didn't. She laughed, remember? But that's true. Uh, God, even in Sarah's old age, he, she was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. She did have faith, but not right away. Abraham did have faith, but not right away. We, we have to note that. Uh, Abraham was real. He was, he was real. And that's real as you can get to laugh like that about a promise that God had. Now, of course, when Abraham was young and vibrant, he didn't laugh. He says, oh, well, this is great. Of course, I'm going to have a son that's going to be through Sarah. Sure, I got you. As Abraham got older, however, yeah, the possibilities became slim to none, to absolutely not. And sure enough, God reversed the situation and so, just to note, and then there's also, uh, see also 2521. Uh, well, what is 25? I don't think it's Hebrews. I might have to look at that note. No worries about that one. Let's go on to the next one. Abraham had also had other children and... and who, who, what other children did Abraham have? Because early in the passage here, and not all the children, not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. What other children did Abraham have that are uh, his offspring, but not children? Uh, what other children did Abraham have that are not children? We could say that. <laughs> it's confusing. But what God is trying to tell you here is that when he told Abraham he would have a son, he was talking about Isaac. Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. So what other children did Abraham have? He had, he had um, Ishmael, and he had children by Keturah. If we go to Genesis 25, uh, 1 and 2, oh, that see also was probably Genesis 25. Let's look at that. Genesis 25, 21 says, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife. Notice, oh yeah, I added this. Really, it should be Genesis, if you want to correct your notes. And point E, Abraham had other children, Hagar and Keturah. But notice, here's another point that 
Rebecca, who was Isaac's wife, was childless as well. She had she was barren. So Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because this is Genesis twenty five twenty one. She was childless. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife Rebecca became pregnant. So you know what this is to say. This is not to say this was by accident. It was not to say that Sarah was barren by accident. God withheld her from having children. He hindered her from having children on purpose. Same thing with Rebecca. So even though they had to bear the embarrassment of being childless, it was because God called them. He chose them. And he chose them for a very special purpose. Do you know how many other women were having babies back then? Whose names are not written here. But we have these two women. We have uh, Abraham's wife, Sarah. We have Isaac's wife, Rebecca, And we have Jacob's wife as well. Rachel. And guess what we're going to find out about all of them? That God chose not only Abraham's wife, he chose Isaac's wife, and he chose Jacob's wife. All the wives that Jacob had. So we should we should know that it's not just Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who are chosen. It is their wives as well. They were special. God knew it. And he chose them them. So, so moving on. So we're, we're, did we finish uh, Genesis 25, 1 and 2? Genesis 25, 1 and 2. Abraham had taken another wife, oh yeah, so Keturah, whose name was Keturah. And this is, she bore him Zimram. Uh, don't, you, don't make fun of me with these names. <laughs> Jokshan. Midian, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Uh, I think I did okay. But notice, Abraham had other children. But none of these children are counted as the children. Does that make sense? And not all Abraham's, uh, not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. And remember, if you think about even through I, uh, Ishmael, God made great nations from Ish, Ishmael. And we are, we are not saying about whether or not Ishmael was a believer or not a believer. I believe he was a believer, Ishmael. Abraham was fine with Ishmael receiving the promise. He figured it was his to give. It wasn't his to give. It was God's. Let's move on. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. That's point number two in our notes. Let's finish this. I think we can. Oh, yeah. So point A, Abraham reveals his thoughts about the plan. This is Genesis 17. Let's pop over to 17 real quick. Getting some Bible work in tonight, that's for sure. So Abraham reveals his thoughts about the plan, Genesis 17, 15 through 21. God also said to Abraham, verse 15, As for Sarah, 
your Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I'm glad because I'm tired of saying Sarai. I will bless her and will surely give her, give you a son by her. I will bless her and she will be the mother of nations. Wow. Kings of people will come from her. Abraham, listen, get this. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at age of 90? So get this. Abraham was 99. She was 90. Listen, this is insulting. If if somebody said this to you, I mean, if, if, some, if you were telling somebody something serious and they fell down, face down, and laughed, and you're, they literally just, they were uncon- he laughed uncontrollably. When you fall down and laugh, that's not just you laughed. That's, you couldn't control it. Tears were probably coming out, everything. That's what happens to me anyway when I laugh crazy like that. Your stu- that's the kind of laugh where your stomach hurts you to laugh so hard. You can't even take it anymore. He fell down. And God did not smite him for this. He bore with him. He says, you know what? Not only are, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to come. Sarah, the the one I've been telling you all along, is going to have a son. And then, let's continue. And Abraham said to God, if only Ishmael, listen, listen to what he says, verse 18. If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Get this. Abraham said, forget about this crazy thought you're thinking. Forget about it. Ishmael's here. And why not just let him live under your blessing? So, Listen, God's sovereignty was on for every decision that had to be made. Because if it had to do anything with Abraham, with anything with Sarah, it would have been a mess. It would not have been God's choice. The nation of Israel, we're talking about the formation of the nation of Israel. We have the record. I don't think we have it just by, oh, well, let me just tell you what happened. We have it because it's important for us to know. I mean, so let's continue. Abraham fell down. He says, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing. And God said, yes, but your wife Sarah, let's, let's be clear. Your wife Sarah will bear a son and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. So God reiterated the covenant again. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will, in other words, Abraham, I know you loved Ishmael, and Abraham loved Ishmael. As for him, I have heard you. I will surely bless him. So was Ishmael a believer? I think he was. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase, increase his numbers. He will be a father of 12 rulers, and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. 
Now, I, I don't think it's, it could be any less clear. I don't care what Abraham thought or how insulting he... That's why I said, did Abraham believe? No, he didn't believe. He left. God had to tell him straight, listen, I know this sounds crazy, but it is so. God's choosing, we cannot, I mean, we all we can do is apply faith to God's choosing. When you talk about what God did to, to form the nation Israel, we think about what God did to form the church. And who is the church? You can't understand that. How did you get in this position to be joined to Christ? Seated in heavenly places? Judging angels? I could go on with all that he has given us in this age. We can't understand how God would have done that. But guess what we can say? It was his choice to choose us in him before the creation of the world. It was his choice to do it. We didn't have anything to do with that. It's God's choice. And we might laugh. We might say it's crazy. Other people might laugh and say it's crazy. But it's the deal. God did it. He chose us. So, point B. Why is God insisting that Isaac is the promised son? Why is he doing that? Because, this is point B, because it is his choice. His choice. Point C. His choice was not Abraham's choice. We should note that. <laughs> Genesis 15, uh, 1 through 5. Let's get Genesis 15 here. One through five. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus. At every turn, Abraham was trying to figure out how he could make this work. I'm childless. I don't know what you... I, I, I hear you talking. I don't see anything happening. So therefore, I will make it happen for you, God. Whenever we try to get in on God's call, we make a mess. Look at Abraham. He was making a mess right here. He wanted to call Eleazar of Damascus. Who was Eleazar? He was his servant. Abraham didn't have any children. Right. So, so Abraham said, you gave me no children. Verse 3. So a servant in my household will be my heir. There it is. I got it all fixed for you, God. I know you. You. You said. Uh, I. You know. You. You had a specific calling. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son, who is your of your own flesh and blood, will be your heir. He took him outside and said, "Look up at the sky. Count the stars. If indeed you can count them." Then he said to him so shall your offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord was credited him for righteousness. Now, now, hopefully we understand that it was not Abraham's choice and it wasn't Sarah's choice because Abraham would have chose early on, Abraham would have chose Eleazar as we saw. It wasn't Sarah's choice. Go over to 16. 1 and 2, now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, 
The Lord has kept me from having children. Notice, the Lord has kept me from having children. That's true. Go sleep with my slave. And this was commonly done in the ancient world. It was. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abraham agreed to what Sarai said. So notice who suggested that? Sarah. That was her choice. That was what she thought. Again, it would make a mess. God never told her to do that. Neither Abraham's choice, neither Sarah's choice. It was God's choice. And his choice was Isaac. So far-fetched, but yes, that was the deal. Point D, so far, God chose Abraham and Sarai. Then he chose Isaac and Rebekah. Notice, both are chosen. That's how we have to see it. So God has his hand all over this. And closing, as we can see, God's sovereignty was on display in the formation of Israel. That's how we have to understand this. I'm hoping that you see how important it is for God to not only have a role in this, but he is the director here when it comes to the nation Israel. It's God's sovereignty. You don't tell God who to choose. You don't tell God what to think. And as we get into, we're not going to get into next week's, but what this it should do, what this should serve to do, is introduce us to the personhood of God, who he is. We'll talk about that next week. Uh, but for now, hopefully you see where this is going. And you see why God has to say what he's saying. It's important. It's important when we get to the thought of how could God have chosen a church, church when he had already chosen Israel. We even said he'd, he's even used the same words. He didn't come up with different words. He's using the same words he used for Israel. As he, uses, as he uses for the church. So that's unique to know. Anyway, we're going to have to quit. Our time is done. Thank you guys for hanging in there a little extra. Appreciate it. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your grace, for your mercy, for your calling, for your sovereignty. And we thank you that it is your choice that has brought us into the place we are in the church. We couldn't have done any of this. It is by your grace, your sovereign grace. So we thank you for that. We love the fact that you can have choices. You can make your own decisions about things. You can have your own plan. And we are called to respect that. We thank you for those who are on the call, the families of those. Lord, you know our struggles as we are in this world. Pray for wisdom so that we can make the right choices while we're here. Learn to depend on your strength, your choices for us. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.